had a listener reach out and ask if I could do an episode about PR in life in the skilled nursing environment. This listener just finished the episode with Jen Hurst from season one, episode seven, about working strictly PRN for income and wanted to know more about how to navigate the skilled nursing facility world as a PRN employee, which is just on call as needed. So when I met Kelly Zarifa, I knew I found my source and Kelly was gracious enough to join me for this episode. I am so excited to share Kelly's insights with you today on the Speech Uncensored podcast. I am Leanne Porter, your host, and now let's hear from Kelly. All right. Hello, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about PRN life in the skilled nursing facility. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excited to yeah. talk about it. Good, good. Because I, I feel like I kind of like hoodwinked you into this. <laughs> I was like, oh, you work in skilled nursing? Ooh, I have a habit for you. Would you like to be on the podcast? Come join me, Kelly. Come join me. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about it because I like doing it. So. Oh, good, good. Yes. Okay. So, um, well, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I think by now they figured out you work in at least one skilled nursing facility. Right. Um, so, but that's not all you do. That Please. is not all I do. Tell so I, I wear many hats. <laughs> so, um, so I have a bit of a long story of getting into, first of all, getting into speech language pathology to begin with, and then getting into where I landed with all of my different various roles in speech language pathology. So we'll start at the beginning. (laughs) Um, So I'm actually originally from Canada, and I moved here when I was younger with my parents. I transferred back and forth into the United States. So I went to high school here for a couple of years in Wichita, Kansas, actually. And then the day after I graduated from high school, I was like, so long, mom and dad, and moved back to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only one living in Canada for a couple of years. And while I was there, my grandfather had a stroke. And so I, um, and actually I was a couple hours away and came back, um, drove back um, a few days before Christmas. And I was actually coming back here for a flight to see my parents for like the Christmas holiday coming back from university. And I didn't know what I wanted to do for call in college or with the rest of my life. So I was like a business major for a while. And then I was like a biology major. And I was like taking French for a little bit. And I like changed major like a hundred times. So I came back and um, he was talking all crazy. And I was like, what's going on? And I had no idea. I'd never heard of aphasia. I didn't know what was happening. And he had had a stroke and had aphasia. And I had found him like this. And I was like, well, this isn't right. What's going on? And so long story short, I ended up being his caretaker because I was the only one living in Canada at the time. And so that's how I ended up becoming interested in speech language pathology to begin with. So a few years later, I ended up going back to school for speech pathology. And that's how my interest began in speech pathology. So I came back here, ended up doing that for a major, came back for my master's degree um, and started working in as a speech language pathologist. Ended up staying um, in the States 
I'm in the Kansas City area now and haven't left and have been here for several years. So I started working clinically as a speech-language pathologist, and a few years um, into working as a speech pathologist, decided to go back to school um, for my PhD. So I'm currently in school for my PhD, and um, while doing while doing that, I decided, well, I have to <laughs> pay for life. So I work at many in many different positions. So I've worked during this time at um, clinically uh, in the school setting, um, in elementary schools. I've worked in private practice. I've worked um, uh, in PRN, in skilled nursing as well, which is what I'm here to talk about with you today. Um, And I work with, of course, in that skilled nursing uh, setting with older adults. And so that really is my kind of area that I really, really love and I'm passionate about is working with adults and in um, neurologic disorders and and that type of thing. And that is what my studies are in um, research and in my PhD studies um, at school. So I'm a doctoral candidate now. I'm getting close to being finished with that that, that PhD after all this time. And um, yeah, so uh, I work in two different um, skilled skilled nursing facilities uh, with the PRN setting, and they're both very, very, very different. So for one, I'm in kind of a traditional type of PRN setting where I get called in kind of randomly. Um, Hey, can you come in and and work, um, you know, these hours? And I get called in sometimes kind of frequently and then not for a while. And then Mm -hmm. the other one, I'm the main kind of primary and only speech language pathology, speech language pathologist, but still as a PRN, if that makes sense. So Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard the stories about that. Like that rather than hire an employee, they just make like a pseudo permanent position that they delegate as PRN, Yeah, which kind of boggles my mind a little bit because one of the key characteristics of PRN is that you don't have to go in if you don't want to, like they could say, Hey, right. can you work this date? And you're like, Ooh, sorry, I can't. Right. Done. Yeah. But in that second setting that you described, um, you're the only PRN there. And so there are probably like, it's a schedule, like specific days mm-hmm. that you need to go. There's obviously flexibility in that. And that's why it's a PRN position so that they can flex you when there's low hours or low caseload. Right. Right. So it is a, it's it's a um, small facility. It's not, I wouldn't call the area rural, but it's kind of like a a suburb of a suburb, if you you Uh will. So so it's a small place and um, they don't have, they wouldn't have enough to support a full-time or really even part-time consistently person. So it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't be able to have somebody there all the time. Um, There's a lot of benefits and we can get into that now if you want. Um, The difference between PRN versus full-time versus part-time and kind of the benefits of all those different things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's transition straight into that. Go ahead. So we can dive into some of the difference there. So um, 
So some of the main differences and pros and cons of being PRN or being part-time or full-time, and we've talked about them a little bit, are benefits, pay, time off, scheduling, hours, all these things. So benefits. So um, when you're PRN, just like any other PRN uh, position in a skilled nursing, I don't get benefits at either one of these positions. Now, I have worked at a facility in the past where I got um, retirement benefits and they contributed to my retirement fund. Um, That uh, I got that for, I worked there for, I think, four years or so. Um, And then... I was hired by, I worked for the specific facility and then they ended up contracting out to to like the the therapy department ended up contracting out to like an outside facility. And then those benefits went away very quickly. Um, And then we no longer got those retirement um, benefits. And then our holiday pay went away and a bunch of those types of things went away. but uh, benefits are something that you don't often get, I would say, with PRN positions. So I don't get health insurance or anything like that through my PRN positions. Um, the pay tends to be higher um, per hour if you're PRN than it is um, if you're working part-time or full-time. So that's nice because they kind of balance that out for you. So since you're not getting those benefits, you get a higher hourly rate uh, wage. Um, so that's, you know, a nice pro of working PRN. Um, Time off. So time off or time on, you can look at it as a pro or a con. So if you're depending on a PRN position as your primary source of income, um, it can be challenging because like I said, at the one PRN position, I don't have guaranteed hours. So oftentimes I will go a couple of weeks without getting called in. Um, and then they were like, Ooh, we really need somebody to come in and then they'll call me in. And it's kind of like, they see me and like, remember me all of a sudden. And then I get a bunch of hours all at once. Um, so it just kind of, um, depends on the place, depends on their caseload, depends on a lot of, there's a lot of factors there. Um, you really have to be good at getting yourself seen and heard, getting to know the staff and things like that. Um, a lot of larger facilities have a pool of PRM, um, staff. So you're one in several. So getting to know the people there and having good relationships with those around you so that you're the one who gets called is a good, um, a good thing to do. Um, Uh, let's see, scheduling. You don't have to be there at a certain time. So if you're not a morning person, that's good. If you are a morning person, that's great because then you can go in early. If you have kids that you have to pick up from school, you can determine your own hours. So you can say, okay, well, I can't, you know, can't be here past a certain time or what have you. Um, You have to also be aware that if you're making really strict you know, times that you're limiting your times from this time to that time, or I can only work two hours, or you're not ever making yourself available on the weekend or whatever, then you're risking not being called in the next time. Um, so 
all things to consider when you're PRN. Um, for me at the position where I'm, you know, the primary speech language pathologist, there are other people there that they can call in when they need to. So I still, you know, text in to my um, director of rehab and say, these are the days that I can work. If, if at um, my school, my university, if I have, you know, something for my dissertation that I just can't come in one day, or if I have something at one of my other jobs, because I do work um, in the school district as well, because that's where I get my benefit, <laughs> my health benefits and things like that. So if I um, have a day where I can't come in, I just say, I have parent-teacher conferences all day. Like um, this Wednesday, I was at my other job until nine o'clock at night. And then I said, I can't come in on Wednesday. And it's like, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. Um, so um, I just text at the beginning of the week and let them know that I won't be in. Um, I think there's also something to say for the like everywhere else, the type of facility and the group of people that you work with, um, the respect that you get from them and whether they're willing to respect your time or not. And I'm very lucky in the places that I work, especially that one where I work full time, that they're very respectful of my my director of rehab and the group of other therapists that I work with are very respectful of that. And they're they're like, okay, you said you can't come in, then you can't come in. That's the way it is. And we'll try to find coverage for you. And that's kind of just how it goes. Okay. So what are some skills that would be really helpful for a therapist who's going to be on call as needed, who's just going to come in, has no history or background with a caseload with the patients. They're kind of picking up where a primary therapist left off. Yeah. Um, what are some skills and techniques that would be helpful for them? So first I would say, um, again, it's nice to have an idea um, to know how that typically treating therapist likes to operate. That's not always possible. So being confident in your own skills is always good. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, I think it's important to um, just as a general practice, um, treat as you would treat if you weren't a PRN, um, therapist. Um, I think in general, there's a lot of, I think times are a little bit tough right now in general with the amount of demands that are put on everybody in general. I think there is a perception that especially with PRN people. Well, I shouldn't even say, especially with PRN people, people in general, there's um, this very high productivity, especially right now <laughs> demands with some changes that have recently been made. Um, <laughs> and even prior to that um, with um, productivities that are pretty out of control um, that are like in the nineties and uh, 95% productivity rates. Um, and That's so the, impossible, um, to achieve. Hmm? impossible to achieve, right, exactly. well, impossible to achieve ethically. Um, and so, um, the instinct is to pull out a worksheet and do a worksheet with everybody that you see. 
And that is not, um, not necessarily the best quality therapy that we could be giving our residents all the time. (laughs) So what can folks do rather than kind of fall back on old faithful (laughs) worksheet? Like, uh, how can they make that transition? Because, you know, there is a certain comfort level with that, you know, there are And I will say that becomes even harder when you're PRN and you're coming in and you don't know this patient. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what they can do or what they've been doing or what they, um, you know, and it's, and it is hard when you are coming in and that's what somebody else has been doing with Mm -hmm. them. Um, so that's that's a tough situation to be in um, as well. So and it's hard to keep up with those standards when um, when you're coming in and the productivity of somebody else is you know ninety percent or something like that or ninety five percent and you're coming in and your productivity may be a little bit lower because you have to go through and read you've never seen this person before and you have to reach through their chart, which you should always be doing. If you've never seen somebody before, or even if you have, you should still be like reviewing from what they did the day before. Um, And uh, reviewing their files and planning their session. Um, Sometimes a speech language pathologist, if you're coming in and you haven't seen them before, I've I've had cases where I've come in And the typically treating speech language pathologist will leave a list of the residents and what they've been working on, like a little cheat sheet, if you will, what they've been working on and things like that. And sometimes you come in kind of blindly and you just have to go through their list. We'll uh, go through each of their files and kind of see what they've been working on. Um, What I would recommend is go through, you have to look at what they've been working on anyways, and treat them like you would be treating anybody else who would be on your normal caseload. So go in, work on functional type of activities, try to see what their interests are and play to those types of things. So see what's in their room, work on safety types of tasks within their room. Um, So... would that be like having them describe the sequence of a, if it's appropriate for right. a patient, like a sit to stand right. sequence? So if they're working on, um, if they're working on um, transferring with physical therapy or something like that, then working on, um, you know, sequencing, but within, instead of sequencing like you know, on those worksheets, sequencing steps on their worksheets, then sequencing within that transfer and knowing the steps to doing within that transfer. Or if they're planning on going home and doing like having to do laundry, well, instead of doing it, you know, on, you know, a worksheet doing laundry, well, why not take the clothes out of their drawer and do the laundry task there. They have clothes in their room, do a sorting task or something like that with them in their room. Um, there's lots of things within the, the resident's room that you could do that are functional type of tasks that they would be doing in their home setting. Um, you know, swallowing 
types of dysphagia tasks. The best type of task for dysphagia is swallowing in itself. So um, I think that relying on games and I mean, games aren't horrible either. If I had a resident the other day who doesn't ever doesn't do a lot of going out and doing the social activities. I think there's a lot of merit in that, especially for long-term care residents who want to do, who, you know, live at a facility to go out and socialize and do things with other people and does not do any of those things. And this person is not working on anything cognitive, but um, said something about how, um, yeah, oh boy. Some other resident uh, said something about how, um, man, uh, somebody wanted to learn how to do pinochle. So I guess I'm going to have to go teach them how to do pinochle. And I was like, oh, yes, that's awesome because they never leave their room. So it was like, oh, great. They're going to go teach somebody how to how to do that now. So that's a great task for them to be able to be involved in an activity. But not everybody likes card games. Not everybody likes these types of activities. So we shouldn't be relying on just playing games or doing worksheets or doing things like that all the time with all residents. I think there's a place for those things if that's a type of task that somebody wants to do, but not everybody likes to do that. That's accurate. I remember when my grandfather was in a skilled nursing facility and we came by to visit him one day and there was um, a checkerboard set up in front of him. And God bless him, but he never played checkers. <laughs> he didn't care for that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. And so like, I appreciate the effort, like engaging with him and everything, but like, that's not his cup of tea. Yeah. And so I think it's, yeah, it's important. There's a, a very strong drive in our field that we are all considering what's important to the patient and what their values are and, and what they actually like. Yeah. And molding our therapy around those ideas. But yeah, that is challenging as a PRN person. If you are just going into the facility and you've never, um, if it's the first time you're meeting an individual and you are supposed to keep a certain high level of um, productivity and you have to read through their notes beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be challenging to keep the level of productivity, I realize. Oh, yeah. But yeah, because I feel like when you're PRN, like you, you have like zero time to build that rapport with them, you know, because exactly. you're that's them just that, that one time that month or something yeah. like that. The tough and, part is getting to know them to be mm-hmm. able to see what their likes and dislikes are, to be able to then build that relationship at the beginning of, of the session. But Yeah. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but one of the first things I like to do is just have them tell themselves or tell me okay. a little bit right. about themselves. Exactly. And, um, and just listen to them for a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, and that usually relaxes them a little bit. And then because I don't go in there and just like, pull out work to do and then just sit down and start working with them. Um, I feel like that helps a little bit and helps direct my therapy. Cause if they're telling me about themselves, they're picking what's the most important relevant things about their life. So if they start with their family, 
that's important to them. If they start with their work history, you know, that's where they find import and value. And so you can learn a lot, just obviously digging in a little bit more deeper than what they say, but like what they choose to tell you in that moment. Your level of productivity shouldn't be your residence problem. So mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we often make it such. I mean, and I and I hate to say this out loud, but the because I'll have a lot of hate mail, but um the facility at which I work as the primary speech pathologist, but PRN, we don't have productivity rates. So I don't have to worry wow. about I know. <laughs> Hold tight to that job. <laughs> that must be so relaxing because I feel no. like it drives a lot of stress and anxiety in Talk our field. Liberating. Yeah, it's having to meet these unobtainable goals. And yep. so that's really nice. Um, do you have any kind of like go-to things that you may try with patients to see if they like it before maybe switching to something different? Um, to try to see if they like it. What do you mean? Well, it's like, so sometimes you just, I mean, like we've been saying this whole episode, you just don't have time to maybe do a thorough therapy session plan for them. So you're like, all right, I'm going to grab a couple things that most patients respond well to, and I can get good, um, results out of in our limited time together. Um, I'll, I'll try this. And if this isn't meeting their needs or they're not responding to it, maybe I'll try something different. I usually think I usually, honestly, I usually just talk to them at the beginning of the session and use things in their room. Most okay. Well, that's it. That's your go-to yeah. materials. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> I it's too, because when you're going in for PRN, you know, and you have a, and you don't know what you're going into and it's a mix of swallowing and cog and language. And I mean, I don't know what I'm getting on those days when I am pulled in for a full day. Um, I don't have the arm strength to carry, <laughs> carry eight bags of materials in. And um, so I just usually go in and use what they have in their rooms. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, do you use any digital products? Like, do you have access or use an iPad or any apps or anything on your phone? I do have constant therapy on my iPad. I use it occasionally. Um, yeah, that one is pretty decent because it's free for SLPs. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot of different stuff on there. I've it used has a really stuff. wide range of things on it. Yes. Um, and I use, I very occasionally use some of the, uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on what it is. Uh, some of the lingua system. Is that what I'm trying to say? Lingraphica? Uh, lingua, thank you. Thank you. No, it's taken me a couple of podcast episodes to figure out how to say their name right. <laughs> I'm like, why am I saying ling yes, Lingraphica. Um, I use those occasionally. Um I would say constant therapy more than anything, but I don't I wouldn't say I use it often. Okay. Yeah. But of the two apps that I would say those that's what I use. That's true. 
Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking like, yeah, you don't want to pull out the same thing every session, every patient. Um, but it's nice to have something that you are like, just this generally works. Let me try it. And I, I use yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. Cause yeah, some, some patients want nothing to do with a activity on constant therapy and other ones get really into it and they feel really motivated by it and successful with it. So yeah, when it's useful, it's helpful. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about some of the materials that the primary SLP might have there that the PRN can have access to. Um, oftentimes the, um, in the facilities that I've worked, they have a lot of medication management type of things. So I don't have to create my own, um, like a lot of the times they'll have, um, the pill boxes, those types of medication management type of tasks with, um, like beads or something like that for medication sorting things for discharge back home to see how they do those sorting tasks. Um, oftentimes they'll have um, a lot of copied worksheets. <laughs> those types of things that I don't usually use. Um, um, that's usually what they have, copied worksheets, honestly. That's the primary thing that they have. And that's pretty much at all of the different facilities that they've had, they've had worksheets and medication boxes. That's usually the consistent items that they I've found. So I feel like that, and I've worked at a lot of, like the place that I PRN, I work at one facility, but they have, like I work for that company, but they have several sister facilities. And I've, I work at those two now, but I've worked in the past at other companies and other facilities. So I've worked at several buildings um, in my PRN sniff life, and all of them consistently have always had those things in common. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Always need a medication management sorter, which exactly. I mean, I think is important and useful for when folks go home. Um, but it does crack me up because while folks are in our facilities, like in the hospital or in skilled nursing, like they are having their meds prepared and given to them by mm -hmm. nursing. Yeah, so. that's an important thing for discharge planning for sure. And it's nice that that's kind of always there. There is a nice little pseudo assessment. Um, I hope that's not like demeaning it at all. But um, I think it's the MDADI. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't remember the initials, but it's like the mini, mini transfer screening inventory. Mm -hmm. It was created by um, occupational therapists. And it's a combination of like their mini cog assessment, which is basically like, I give you three words, and then I ask you to draw a clock. And then I ask you to repeat those three words back to me. Mm -hmm. On top of following like four instructions um, related to like pill uh, prescriptions. And then they fill that into a grid below that's meant to resemble um, a four times a day pill organizer and then answer a question about it. So it's a little higher level. Sometimes I find surprising 
difficulty with some patients that I didn't anticipate when I used that with them. Yeah. Um, so that's a good one. I'll have to remember the name of that and add yeah, that in. So one of the other um, uh, considerations, I would say, um, about PRN in uh, skilled nursing is, um, and it's a bit off the topic of therapy materials, it's kind of going back a bit, is training. Mm, yes, I'm so glad you circled back to that. Yeah. So training is a little bit of a sticky situation when you PRN, um, because we don't really get much of it. We miss kind of that culture and team kind of experience and all those training type of type of pieces that go along with being full-time or part-time in a facility. Um, so those are things that you kind of have to go off and do on your own when you're PRN, which can get time consuming and expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's something else to consider, which can be time consuming and expensive for frankly, anyone, even if you're part-time or full really in our field in, in general, Yes. No matter what population you're working with and what setting you're working with. Um, <laughs> but you're not getting any of those CEU type of things or even within facility training as regularly if you're PRN and you kind of have to keep up with it. And sometimes you'll get like a random like email, like I'll get an email that's like randomly, even if I haven't worked in like three weeks and I'll get an email that's like, didn't you do this training that was due like two months ago? And I'm like, no, I have no idea what you're, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, it's on such and such. I'm like, I don't even have my password to log into that, you know, mm -hmm. thing or whatever. And then they're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so um, trainings can be difficult if you're PRN. So those types of things like the switch, um, the, um, Medicare Part A switch over the payment model switch over. We didn't get any training on that at either one of my, I mean, they trained on it, but I didn't get any training on it. So I had to go yeah. to like look on trainings on ASHA and, and try to find trainings for speech pathology and the changes that were made there. Um, the change, the diet changes um, for uh, the names of the consistencies of that. Uh, diet. Um, oh, like IDSI, IDESI. Yeah. Okay. Uh, diet changes. Um, so training myself on those consistencies. Um, so going onto that website and I downloaded the app and I had to, you know, read about that and I like printed all those resources off and um, trying to educate. And I'm like, <laughs> doing these different mixes of consistencies of diet um, and learning about all of that myself. So um, those are all types of things that I don't get as a PRN speech pathologist. I also don't get, like I said, the within facility trainings that they do. I have to go like separate times because I miss the ones that they do their in-house trainings because um, I'm not there during the times that they do it. So I have to 
you know, the next time I'm in, I have to remember to go in and do whatever their, you know, 15 minute like dementia quiz or whatever to make sure, you know, just their regular every six months you have to take their in-house training on whatever it is. So I have to make sure I'm in their compliance trainings or whatever. And I'm doing checking those off the list because I'm not there when they actually did the training. Um, so those are all things to keep in mind as well to keep up with C their requirements for their CEUs and everything. So um, that can be um, an extra time constraint for PRN speech pathologists, um, both within the facility and out of the facility as well. So keeping up with latest research and training and things like that, um, to do that, uh, research types of things, I use um, SpeechBite is a good website for research. I mean, not so much for trainings, but for research. If you're looking for articles, um, they have a lot of like they have like systematic reviews and things like that. So if you're looking for research on things, I'm a writer for disclosure here. <laughs> I'm a writer on the um, informed SLP. They just launched a couple months ago the adult section for the informed SLP, and I'm a writer for them now. Um, but also a consumer on the informed SLP. I use it all the time. So the informed SLP, we go through a bunch of different like journal articles and um, or journals and read through the abstracts of those and those get narrowed down and they find only the most relevant ones um, that are clinically applicable. And they have... Um, um, three sections. They have birth to three, they have preschool and school age, and now they have the adult section as well. And so basically we look at, you know, journal articles that are written for scientists um, and researchers, and then we make them so that they're consumable for clinical practice. So you're not reading this like 20 page journal article that has all like statistics and stuff that are not really that relevant and important that you wouldn't really want to read through um, and make it so that it's more relevant for the information that you want to read and make it like shorter and more feasible to actually get through. Um, and so the informed SLP. So I listen to them. They're recorded too. So you can kind of listen to them on the car on the way to work. So I write for them, but I don't write all of them, obviously. So I get to listen to like the ones that other people write to. So that's uh -huh. a fast way to listen to the latest research and keep up on stuff. Nice. Very good. Those are excellent resources. I've been making a list and we're going to have these in the show notes. Um, yeah, these are really good. Because it's hard to stay, you know, up on top of the latest research and stay on top of um, CEUs and keep up with the stuff you have to do in in facility trainings and all the changes that they're always making with, you know, the new diet and changes to Medicare. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is. So. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, yeah, all the changes outside of our field that affect how we do our job. Mm -hmm. Keeping informed about those things and up to date on on how they affect us versus maybe how facilities 
interpret them and then want them to affect us, which may or may not be an accurate interpretation of it's the, the, the item's true purpose. And what I'm referring to is PDPM, the patient-driven payment model that just came out in October. It's causing quite an uproar as uh, it has. nursing facilities have been significantly reducing hours, reducing pay, or just firing staff right. <laughs> in rehab. It's um, very alarming and disconcerting and an inappropriate interpretation of the purpose of PDPM. Right. So that's my two cents on that. <laughs> that's where I stand on that issue, obviously. <laughs> I'm not highly knowledgeable about PDPM, but I've read some things about people who are, and that's their stance, and I agree with them. So, <laughs> all right. Okay, so that's a really good review. We covered a lot of information. Um, like how a PRM position can be structured within a skilled nursing facility. Um, what are the expectations and the productivity in them? Some therapy considerations and what materials may or may not look like, what you have available to you or basically what is not available to you in that setting. Uh, a lot of MacGyvering, I feel like happens. A lot of just creating things from nothing and seeing what works. Um, so creativity, I feel like would be a really good, a good characteristic to have. Yeah. And putting yourself out there and, and talking to the other, um, the people on staff there, I think you have, you can't be afraid to, to talk to the other, um, people who do know that resident or do know that patient and saying, Hey, how has this person doing? Cause you, you don't know them best if you're coming in and it's your first day there. So saying, mm-hmm. you know, is this their typical, you know, this is how they're typically, how have they been doing? Is this you know, what did they look like yesterday versus today? What are their preferences? And then going in and and getting some information from the other therapy staff um, to see how they're doing um, beforehand. Because sometimes what they look like on paper and and then going in to see them, they look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting that information is helpful as well. All right. Excellent. Okay, Kelly. Well, I feel like we've covered our bases that we set out to cover today. Um, Do you have any parting thoughts or anything you want to wrap up with? No, I mean, it's really a fun environment to work in. I think there's a lot of of benefits. It's really, um, you get a lot of, you get a lot out of working PRN, I feel like. Um, Even though, you know, it has its feel like we talked about some cons, like there's not a lot available to you necessarily, but there's a lot of pros to working as a parent in a skilled nursing facility. It's very rewarding to work um, in that setting um, and with those people. So I I love it. I wouldn't change it. And um, yeah, it's a fun environment to work in. So good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for having having me on. on positive note because <laughs> yeah sometimes we can kind of focus on the negative but like I mean so many people do this job and they wouldn't do it if there wasn't something that kept bringing them back to it like you have to get a certain level of um like professional satisfaction and personal satisfaction out of it as well and so it's definitely an area where you can really um like flex those clinical skills and mm-hmm. be adaptive and mm-hmm 
engage with people yeah. who need it. So mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly, for joining me on the podcast and sharing your experiences on PRN Life and the SNF. Check out the show notes for links to resources that we discussed in today's episode. Next week, we're learning how to start an aphasia support group with Elizabeth Y. Kane. It's an excellent session, chock full of actionable tips to get an aphasia support group started in your region. If you feel so inclined, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts about why you listen to the Speech Uncensored podcast, because I'm dying to know. (laughs) I'd be ever so grateful. I want to shout out to my listeners in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, Athens, Georgia, and Bellingham, Washington. Thanks for tuning in to nourish your brain so that your practice can flourish. 